From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we talk Russia and sanctions, and we also have our week in review. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, February 25th, 2022. We're going to have a different format today. First, I want to talk to Scott Cipollina about Russia sanctions in Bitcoin. Enjoy. Scott Cipollina, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Matthew. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent, sir. You wrote a an article today that I think is very uh, necessary to talk about. It's how Russia could use crypto to evade international sanctions. And uh, well, it's titled a long read and i couldn't be bothered so <laughs> i called you up to go over this together so we can put it on the podcast as you know podcasts are for ears and not for eyes and so i thought it was more prudent uh sir what is the that was a joke you can laugh scott <laughs> we're good we're all good um, <laughs> so what, what what is this article about sir and how could they evade international sanctions yeah so um well of course you know the, the biggest news of the week here is uh, you know following russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, Russia is now facing widespread sweeping sanctions from many different uh, parts of the world. So the European Union has imposed sanctions uh, that are aimed at, quote, the uh, Kremlin's interests. Uh, Biden has denounced the invasion as well. Uh, there have been a wave of sanctions coming from the United Kingdom. Germany has frozen the approval of the Nord Stream 2 gas project, which is designed uh, to increase the flow of Russian gas to the European continent. So there's, you know, there's, there's also talk about barring Russia from the SWIFT international payments network. That at this point hasn't happened yet, but there's, as I said, there's significant discussion about that being a possibility as well. So Russia is, as I said, they're facing widespread uh, and sweeping sanctions following their invasion of Ukraine. And in terms of crypto and what Russia can do in order to evade these sanctions through the use of crypto, um, I'd like to start really by pointing out that last October, the Biden administration warned that cryptocurrencies, which the Treasury Department described as digital assets, could undermine the United States' broader sanctions regime. And folks that are listening might know, might already be aware that sanctions has been has long been a cornerstone of U.S. foreign policy. There are sanctions in place not only against Russia, but against North Korea and Iran and other rogue states. Um, and that's very much similar with other parts of the world, like the European Union. Sanctions um, are you know, a, a very powerful tool in, in statecraft. Um, and that Treasury Department said at the time that these technologies offer, and I quote, malign actors opportunities to hold and transfer funds outside of the financial system. Uh, as a point of reference, North Korea has already part financed its nuclear and ballistic missile programs using cryptocurrency, according to a United Nations report. Um, and, and just to be clear with that, that's cryptocurrency via hacking exchanges. So they're not yes. just, you know, mining or they're not just, you know, trading or buying. Uh, they are hacking exchanges and getting cryptocurrency. So I just want to clarify that. Yep. North Korea also, though, does also have an active crypto mining program and they 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 mine Bitcoin and also uh, the privacy oriented or privacy focused coin Monero, Monero as well. 
Um, but yes, you're, you're right. This is this is really sourced by by um, hacking, uh, which is a useful segue into one of the chief slash principal ways that Russia uh, could potentially be using crypto to evade these sanctions. Uh, so Russia has been sort of at the forefront of the crypto ransomware world. A recent report from Chainalysis, which is a blockchain analytics company, for those who are listening, uh, they recently found that individuals and groups that are based in, in Russia, some of which who have already been sanctioned by the United States, account for, and I quote, a disproportionate share of ransomware and crypto-related crime. Um, with regard to ransomware itself, specifically, Chainalysis's research found that about 74% of the global revenue of ransomware in 2021 was financed um, through was financed to sources that were highly likely to be affiliated with Russia. Uh, then, of course, there is uh, the R Russia-affiliated slash Russia-backed cybercrime group that's called Revil. Uh, this is the group that's been behind some of the most high-profile ransomware attacks in history. Uh, earlier this year, the Federal Security Service, the FSB, that is the Russia's that is the Russian's domestic intelligence service, said that it had dismantled the Revil ransomware group, but that has widely been uh, met with skepticism. I was actually speaking to somebody who has clocked up 11 years in the FBI, uh, and he actually features in the article. He he went on record and told me that uh, we don't know for certain whether or not the main actors behind this ransomware group have actually been disbanded and arrested. Um, so, you know, to cut a, a bit of a long story short, ransomware is one of the, the sort of principal avenues for Russia to use cryptocurrency as a means of evading sanctions, but it's not the only one. We mentioned briefly Bitcoin mining as well. Uh, so the, you know, Russian related crypto ransomware to one side. Earlier this year, Putin himself actually said that Russia has some competitive advantages, uh, and I quote competitive advantages, in Bitcoin mining. Um, so it's unclear whether or not the state actually owns some Bitcoin, but that's another aspect of the industry that, that is open to the Russians as, as a way of accessing some income that they would otherwise be losing out on due to the you know, widespread sweeping sanctions that I mentioned earlier. How significant is the, uh, I guess, cash flow that could be generated from the um, ransomware or Bitcoin mining? I mean, look, Bitcoin today has not even a trillion dollar market cap. Uh, it's a country that needs funding. And with if there's sanctions and they stop SWIFT or what have you, is it really a significant amount? And should it, is it actually a concern? Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a huge concern, uh, quite frankly. And I think one of the one of the ways that we can sort of effectively summarize, summarize how how important this is, is just to go back to North Korea and remind folks that are listening that North Korea's nuclear and ballistic missile program, if you were to uh, read the United Nations report that was published recently, that's been part financed by cryptocurrency. Now, that's one of the biggest threats, um, globally speaking, that, that we're facing. Uh, and I think another sort of pertinent question is what can we actually do um, to make sure that this, you know, this sort of situation doesn't become an ongoing vulnerability and something that doesn't undercut um, the power of economic sanctions that not only the United States or the European Union, but other actors impose as well. Um, and I actually spoke with um, Chainalysis for this story, uh, and somebody from Chainalysis told me that there's a way, essentially, for Western actors to get ahead of Russian efforts to evade sanctions by using cryptocurrency. And that would be by using blockchain analytics to make sure that there is a, a tool at use here for Western powers to make sure that sanctions remain essentially a credible deterrent. That's the phrase that, that the chain analysis used when they spoke to me. Um, also referencing back the Treasury Department report that, that came out last October, uh, that actually featured a, a recommendation for the Treasury to build 
on existing outreach and engagement capabilities to focus particularly in that space on cryptocurrencies. It also called for investment on, on behalf of the Treasury itself to deepen its knowledge on digital assets that they, as they described them so that sanctions can really run through their full life cycle and not get sort of um, undercut um, or, or have the carpet swept out from beneath them with regard to actors like Russia using cryptocurrencies to evade them and sidestep them. Last question I think we want to talk about really quick is, is the fear that a Bitcoin mining ban or a Bitcoin ban in some form or fashion could hit uh, the West, the EU, UK, and the United States. Uh, obviously, we saw that uh, the U.S. Senate created a bipartisan legislation a couple of weeks back uh, trying to, I guess, influence El Salvador from making or maintaining that Bitcoin is legal tender as sanctions is being a big cornerstone of that legislation saying we need to be able to have sanctions. Where do you think this is going in terms of, I guess, uh, the adoption of Bitcoin into our financial systems or just accepting it as what it is? Yeah, well, I think that you, know, you reminded me of um, segueing from the United States for a moment as well, that there, there is uh, some widespread concern across the European Union uh, and the broader continent of Europe as well about the environmental impact of proof of work mining. And when we discuss proof of work mining, we're in essence not only talking about Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is typically at the forefront of people's minds when this subject comes up. Uh, the financial regulator in Sweden, I would say, has been the most outspoken with regard to these risks. They um, even sort of sort of draw a line in the sand beyond the debate about renewable Bitcoin mining or non-renewable Bitcoin mining, which dominates a lot of this discussion. They actually say that it's a misallocation of renewable resources in the first place. Um, and that we, or not, not <laughs> that speaking as though I'm the Swedish regulator here, they would say we need this renewable energy to um, power our essential services. Um, and, you know, to be blunt, they're saying that it's, it's, it's a waste to use that on Bitcoin mining. Um, there was a story about a month after that came out that uh, a European regulator sort of echoed the same concerns. So I would say that, you know, there's, there's this uh, slightly adjacent to the discussion at hand, but I think that there is a, a growing concern across the European Union about the environmental impact, not only of Bitcoin mining, but other proof of work cryptocurrencies. Um, and I think that, you know, whether or not this will result in a ban on proof of work crypto mining across the union itself, I think that, you know, I, we can't say that for certain yet, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's pretty certain to say that it's coming under some heavy scrutiny um, and we'll have to see where that goes. But right now in the European Union, also in the States, as you mentioned, there, there is definitely a lot of concern about the the climate consequences of, of this technology. That's for sure. Obviously, I don't want to get into the debate with you about this. So we're just talking about the news today, uh, but I do want feedback from listeners. So anybody has any comments on what is happening with the EU, United States, uh, the sanctions, Russia, Ukraine, El Salvador, everything, please email me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. And if you want to say hi to Scott, it's scott at decrypt.co. Thank you, Scott, for coming on the show. No worries, Matthew, anytime. We'll be right Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Get back. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Now let's get into those crypto prices. Bitcoin sitting at. 
$39,159, up almost 9% in 24. And I have no clue what's going on in the crypto space, so please don't ask. If somebody knows, please let me know. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. Ethereum is sitting at $2,698, up 10% in 24. Tether's number three, Binance Coin, is at 368, up 7.3%. And USDC is number five. Rounding off the top 10, we have XRP, Cardano, Solana, Luna, and Avalanche. And by the way, Luna is on a tear. It's up 18% in 24, or 33% in seven. Total market cap, we're at $1.73 trillion, a BTC dominance of 42.4, and an F dominance of 18.5. And now we're going to get into our weekend review with writer from Decrypt, Jason Nelson. Jason, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 100%. Jason, you started with Decrypt in October. This is your first time on the show. I want you to just tell everybody, all the listeners, who you are. Hopefully you're back here more than just this once and we see you again. So who are you, sir? Well, uh, my name is Jason Nelson. I worked freelance for Decrypt for about a year uh, and then I was hired full time in October. Um, before that, I hosted a podcast YouTube channel called uh, Crypto Insights Journal, and I uh, did other freelance work for other outlets, but uh, primarily Decrypt was where most of my stories went. When the call came, I was like, of course. <laughs> so, you know, I've been, I've covered the space since 2016, um, off and on. So, you know, it it lets you uh, develop relationships and develop um, a feel for what's going on. Um, you're, you're never, you never stop learning. If anyone tells you they know everything about crypto, they're lying to you. 100%. Um, so I like to think of myself as an eternal student of this and just here to learn and uh, teach others, basically. Right on, man. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show. Nice to nice to meet you. It's weird because I talked on the show a couple of times to many people and I haven't met a lot of people from Decrypt in real life. I'm going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming for Ethereal uh, next month. So if anybody who's listening is in Jackson Hole, please make sure you send me an email. Come and meet up with me. I would love to meet you there. Grab a couple of drinks. Uh, and that'll be my first time to meet a lot of people from Decrypt in real life. But we want to get into some of our weekly news. You were at Ath Denver. Well, it seemed like an interesting time. There's a lot of things going on. And I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit to, I guess, do a couple of things. One, what is conferences like now in the era of COVID and COVID restrictions and things like that? I saw there was massive lines that were checking vax cards and all kinds of things. Just run through like just the operations and what was the feel like being there? This was my first conference since 2019. So it was an experience just being around that many people mm. <laughs> in one place. Um, I do like how the organizers did require uh, uh, COVID tests. And on the first day, initially, you could continue to get them on the uh, rest of the days. But on the uh, 17th, when it first started, the lines to get COVID tests were around the block because you had to get one before you could come in. And they were doing that for people's safety. And I'm, and I understand that. And, you know, and again, I appreciate that they took that precaution. The lines were also long because apparently it was a free event. I, mm. from what I hear that you needed to register, get tested, get all this other stuff. But as far as the cost was, there wasn't one. So you had, I hear some reports over 18,000 people wow. come into this event. And you could see it at some points because in some of the venues, it was standing room only, especially when someone like like when Vitalik was there, you know, and when Andrew Yang was there, 
you know, you could see that there was that many people there. We talked to the founder and he basically, you know, the vibe was supposed to be cyberpunk, cypherpunk, you know, hacker, you know, things like that. Uh, you see that at other conferences too, like the uh, last Bitcoin conference in San Francisco was like that. Um, I didn't go to the Miami conference, so I'm not sure what they're up to today. But And there was also other venues. I mean, the whole downtown Denver area was covered with Ethereum Denver happening. So it, it was everywhere. It was massive. I went to Ethereum Denver or F Denver in uh, 2019. That was, I went to a couple of conferences. I went to Consensus. Um, at Denver. I really liked it at Denver. I always liked the vibe there. It's very like laid back. Uh, there's a lot of, there's usually a hackathon or a lot of people just doing a lot of stuff there, building, they have lounges. Was it the same kind of laid back vibe in this one? And it seemed like there's probably, it seemed like maybe 10x the people um, in this yeah, at Denver yeah. than it was in 2019. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was definitely more people. And it, but it did keep that laid back uh, feel. You know, they had different lounges and different, they had beanbag all over the place for people to to chill in what i liked the most about it was it was such a diverse group you know because you had different blockchains there you had different people from different walks of life you had you know different groups there it wasn't just one type of person one thing so you got more of a feel of how big the crypto universe actually is you know one thing i really liked about uh at denver in general and some of these other um I don't want to say smaller, but less stringent uh, conferences. Like if you went to consensus, consensus is very regimented. Uh, so if you went in there, it was like you you signed up, you saw like the vendors or whatever that could be doing displays. But if you wanted to meet people, like some of the speakers, whatever, it was almost like there was a separation between you and the, the guest and the speakers. Mm-hmm. At Denver, at least the one I went to, I felt that it was easy to meet with people like if uh, Vitalik was on stage, I, there was Andreas Antonopoulos, he was on stage. And he, after he was done, he was just there in the crowd, just hanging out, you know, and people would go shake his hand. I bet Caitlin Long there and all kinds of other people. So it was like there was just, there was no like division of access to these people you came that came to this event and you wanted to, you know, see them speak and then introduce yourself. Was it the same kind of vibe here? And do you agree with that statement? Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and it was similar vibe. Like, um, I mean, of course, you know, Vitalik can't really wander through a crowd the way he might have been able to wander through a crowd four or five years ago. But he was there and he didn't seem to shy away from interacting. You know, when you get to the point where they're standing room only, you have no choice but to interact with the people around you. And, you know, the like with the side panel that I did, the uh, founders of Paraswap, um, but they had to pass through the crowd. So they were interacting with people as they came and went from the stage. So, but again, standing room only, so you really don't have a choice. I met, I met uh, Vitalik in uh, F Singapore and uh, Singapore was kind of like the same thing. You had conferences and then you had lunchtime and everybody just sat outside and they had a buffet and you um, were sitting there and Vitalik and the crew sat in the table next to me, uh, met him briefly and he's taller than I, I thought, you know, he's like 62 or something. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's actually a lot taller than people think. Uh, and I guess it's because when we see most of each other, because, you know, even conferences aside, most of us see each other through social media, through cameras. Right. right. So you don't really have an idea of what this person actually looks like. You have what they look like, you know, presented to you. So our, our, our conferences back, is, did they do 
the conference justice with, you know, the different protocols, the different vibes, the different personalities, the different, I guess, um, caution or level of, of, of risk, you know, adversity or whatever, uh, when it comes to, you know, your health and, and what's happening right now, did they do the conference justice? And do you think conferences are back? I, I would say, yes, I think they are back, uh, mostly with, the the pre event measures that they take, uh, to keep people safe with testing and things like that. If you keep that in place, you know, even though I know people don't like it, I know people, you know, how they feel about that, but it's still out there. So you still need to take some type of precautions. And as long as we keep that focus on keeping everyone as healthy as possible, then we should have a, a thriving conference season this year. I mean, we have what Ethereal coming up soon. There's uh, South by Southwest. They're doing something. Um, we still have the Bitcoin conference coming up. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 there's going to be a lot going on. Last question. We can move off of uh, uh, Denver really quick. We'll, we'll give us some highlights really quick. You said Andrew Yang was there and I know he was pitching his new, I guess, uh, DAO uh, for lobbying or something like Lobby 3, I think it's called. Uh, what, right. were some, what were some highlights that, from this event? You know, for, for me, I think the highlights were, were just meeting some of the people that you interact with on social media in real life, like um, the Moloch Dow guys, I mean, and Isaac, you know, you see them on social media, but you don't meet them on social media, you know? So meeting them in, in person is like, this guy's great. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, our, uh, you know, like I had a chance to talk to some founders up and coming. Like I talked to this one founder, his name's uh, Parker McCarley uh, with Decent Labs. Just a nice guy. You know, he he was passionate about crypto, passionate about what he's doing. And you you get to talk to people walking around who who feel the same way. And you know what? Even seeing other journalists there, they were so happy to be around other people doing something, you know, that was really the best part. I lied about last question about this. This is the last question <laughs> about it. Do you recommend because it's been a couple of years since we had conferences and any kind of I mean, we I know we had Masari's main that um, was it last year in New York City. Um, but uh, and overall, conferences weren't as aren't as plentiful and they're starting to come back and people are or crypto advocates and and hobbyists and supporters and builders and so on and so forth, uh, they're going to start buying the tickets again and taking those flights. Do you recommend the average person, the average listener to go to one of these conferences? Or do you think that is something that like just a hobbyist should sit out of? Well, I mean, you have the, to judge. I guess the reason why I'm asking this is because when you go there, you have a purpose. You go there and you not only work in the space, but you also can you know write stories about what you see. So right. yeah, I guess I'm just wondering from the average person. If you didn't have a purpose for going probably most of these conferences you can stick to online you know because most of them street going is for people who have a purpose i i i, I feel i mean sure you can if you have the money go for it but some of these tickets for some of these events are you, it's a choice between going to this event or paying your rent and that's <laughs> you know if it's something like that uh, unless you have a real purpose for going, I, I would say, just, you know, streaming, something like that would probably be a better idea. All right. So moving into some of the crypto news today, uh, you wrote a, a story this week about the NFT marketplace Magic, Magic Eden and them requiring KYC. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why are they doing that? Well, you have um, 
Unfortunately, Magic Eden's been hit by a couple of uh, rug pulls. What, uh, rug what pull. is a rug? The best way to define a rug pull is the person who is supposedly hosting this thing disappears with the money. Uh, they've had that a few times, and they instituted a more stringent verification process. Like, you have to be doxxed with them. So if it's, you know, Jason Nelson's NFT collection, well, Jason Nelson needs to prove this is him putting this NFT collection on Magic Eaton, you know, with some type of identification, some type of something proving that this is the person. You know, if you're an organization, you have to, uh, whoever is representing the organization has to be doxxed so that they have someone from that organization that they are aware of is responsible, basically, if anything happens. So, so just going back just to frame this um, before, like I said, like you said, people were just mi making minting NFTs. And obviously, you know, you could just, as we saw Gary V's and NFTs, you can literally draw something on an iPod or I'm sorry, an iPad, iPod. What? The? <laughs> How old am I? No, you can draw something on an iPad and just make mint an NFT out of it. So people were just doing this. People were just making NFTs. And then they were rugging all the people that were giving the money or trying to mint those NFTs. And so this is a way for them to, um, know who is missing these NFTs. And if something happens, they're going to go after you. Do you think that this is a prudent measure to take? The reason why I think it is, is because you have so much money in the NFT market that you just can't leave it to, I trust this avatar. You know, there's, there's millions, billions of dollars wrapped up in NFTs today. So, you know, and these platforms have to take you know, their own precautions because, you know, for what the last two times that happened, Magic Eaton actually covered the funds of the people who lost money in the rug pulls. So as a business, that's not sustainable. So I need to protect myself. You know, I want to protect you as my customer, but I need to protect myself as the business too. So no, it, it's a good idea. And do you think that if, if people are not, and this goes back to the Board Ape Yacht Club founders, do you think that that was a prudent decision from journalists to say, hey, look, it, this is a billion dollar, billion, maybe billions of dollars in volume uh, NFT collection, and we don't know who the founders of this NFT is. is we, so they look, looked them up and they doxed them. Do you think that was prudent? If you're coming to me for business, doxing should not be an issue. If I'm mm. just hanging out and then you make it your business to find out who I am, well, then that be that becomes a privacy issue mm -hmm. because, you know, it's one thing if I'm if I find out that this person made this thing. Sure, I could say, hey, I know who you are and, you know, great to meet you. But at the same time, should I be putting it out in public? Hey, this is the guy that did that. Imagine. It would be something similar to if someone found out who Satoshi Nakamoto really is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So you'd have to ask yourself, is me telling the world who this is worth the damage I may potentially do to this person's life? Because everyone's coming from Satoshi if they ever find out who that is. Right, right. Same thing right. with Banksy, I would assume. If, if somebody found out or knew who Banksy was and they doxed him, I, I, I'm assuming he isn't doxed yet. Uh, then I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, then, you know, it's a huge thing. Well, and it's so so at the end of the day, when it comes to a, a individuals uh, who are not engaging, like if someone comes to you, that's one thing. But if they're just out there doing their own thing, then it becomes a judgment call. 
you know, you have to use your best judgment. A lot of people didn't like that they doxed the board ape guys, you know, and, you know, I, I tend to side with those people because you didn't need to do that. Oh, really? But uh, and, and but it goes to what you just said. And just I, this is a little bit of older news, but I think that we now that we're talking about KYC, who is going to be making companies, how we're going to perceive these founders of either NFTs or projects or DAOs or whatever in this space. Uh, this is, I think, an important conversation. I look at it as it's a Delaware registered company. And these guys were billions of dollars and doing trade deals with now with uh, or deals with Adidas. It's mm-hmm. time to know who you are if you're going to sign a big deal with Adidas. Right. But that but then that goes to the whole point of you entered into a business with this organization. You know, you came to them or they came to you. So that's 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 a meeting of two organizations come together. But what I'm referring to is just some random person on the Internet with a ape icon. Leave that person alone gotcha. unless you see them doing something nefarious. And also it's Web3. Web3, most people in Web3 are anonymous, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. That's just the nature of the that's that's the ecosystem. That's the nature of the universe. You know, like we're not anonymous because of what we do. Right. Right. right? But we also made that choice. Right. So right. if I'm a creator, if I'm an artist and I'm just putting out art, I, you don't need to know who I am as long as the art is legit. Right. And then the whole point of this stuff was supposed to be trustless. We aren't supposed to have to know who's on the other end of that address as long as the Bitcoin that they tell us they have is there. Mm, mm, mm. Right. So that's the mentality that we have to get to from Web 2 to Web 3. I understand what you're saying. And so basically you're saying if to be participatory into this Web 3 ecosystem, this new universe that we're doing, the whole point was the trustless, the anonymous. This is what we're trying to build here. And to try to, I guess, bridge Web 2 KYC traditional finance over to Web 3 is missing the whole point. Exactly. Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're just going to make Web 3 look like Web 2, then why are we need... over here? We exactly. over there. Okay, gotcha. I'm feeling you. That's actually a very good point. And if any listeners want to write in and tell me what they think of that point, Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. I want to hear your opinion, and then I'll discuss it on the show. Speaking about anonymous, one thing that was always anonymous was Tether's holdings. Uh, and later this week, or earlier this week, they came out and said, hey, we are going to show you what we're holding. We're going to adjust that a little bit. And, and I, I think this is going to be give people more confidence. What, what came out this week about Tether? Well, they released their report basically showing what they have in, in their treasury. I think the reason why it's important that they keep continue to do this is because a few years ago, when it came out that most of their holdings were in a variety of things where people thought it was one-to-one to the United States dollar. And once that came out, people were like, who are you? What are you doing? What's going on here? It became that kind of a thing. So they're basically putting it out on the table. Hey, this is everything. And that's good. I mean, kind of goes back to what we were just talking about when you're dealing with this much money and you're basically acting as a treasury, you, you should be transparent with at least the funds, you know, where the money's coming from, what it actually is, things like that. So that people, it, it builds trust. And I think this is going to build a little bit more trust because uh, before they said that they're actually in the article that came out, uh, I think it was just two days ago, said that Tether is now holding 21% less of commercial paper. And commercial pa- paper is an unsecured promissory note from companies. And they were using that as saying, oh, this is uh, backed 
one to one for the tether, one dollar for one one dollar worth of tether. And everybody's just like, I don't know about that. And it came to this whole kind of a conversation of what is holding up our tether? Is this kind of like a financial crisis, sort of like subprime mortgage sort of thing that every that tether one dollar is being backed by basically one dollar of shit. So uh, this is, I think, a very important um, thing of being transparent. Like you said, transparency. This is kind of, again, part of the ecosystem of crypto. Transparency. Exactly. Transparency. And and when you get to the point of, you know, crypto is basically built on follow the money, right? I mean, that's why these blockchains are permissionless and anyone can see what's going on in them. You know, so it's... It's one thing if I don't want to be doxxed to something totally different when I'm actively hiding information from you, you know, because that's what that's what governments and banks do. And we're not supposed to be doing that in this space. So last news item I want to bring up today is you just said this much money and follow the money. And there's not many more people on the face of this earth that has more money than Charlie Munger. And we know Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, they have been always anti-crypto. Charlie Munger called it a venereal disease. Of, I mean, can you, can you get any, I mean, for a 95 year old man, that's just basically, that's like the harshest you could get, right? right. <laughs> you can't get too much more harsh than that's, that. That's pretty, that's pretty harsh, man. <laughs> so um, what, what's your thought about like, these these two that are obviously great investors legends in their day does actually whatever he says about crypto actually hold any weight he is a 95 year old man and i no disrespect to the elderly there's wisdom in that in, in that man but in this case does he have any wisdom okay so what's that saying Methinks thou protest too much you know a lot of these people are just saying what they've always said you know even mm-hmm. They might not even still believe it, but this has always been my line. So I have to keep it up, Mm, you know, mm. to this point, I always look at it as if you, after all these years, if you still think crypto Bitcoin is a scam, it's worthless, it's a Ponzi. If you still think that there's nothing I can say to you, you know, because you've already made up your mind or you're sticking to the party line, which is in Munger's case, I think that's actually what it is. He, I wouldn't be surprised. If we find out one day he was one of the largest bag holders, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, look some... at look at JP Morgan. I mean, JP Morgan, even though even though Jamie, Jamie Dimon has said plenty of negative things about Bitcoin, JP Morgan's moving into crypto. So it's like, yep. well, this person's saying one thing, but your company's saying doing something different. Yep. What's going on? Yep. I, I kind of feel like when it comes to him is that when you dedicate your life to a certain thing, right? Uh, he's 95 years old. He's been investing in traditional stock markets and, and understanding this model of investing for his whole life. And he's done very, very well doing this in and, and that discipline. To see other people come in and make hundreds of millions or billions of dollars on crypto and these new, I guess, asset classes come out of nowhere, in his opinion, coming out of nowhere, he's just like, this isn't how you do it. And he's more, I think it's more of a, a personal attack on his self-worth and his identity more than actual, does he actually believe in Bitcoin? I, I would agree with that. It's if I built my life on real estate and then all of a sudden here comes this new thing that is basically undercutting right, vir- everything. virtual land in the fucking <laughs> right exactly in the metaverse. I'm not gonna be happy about that. <laughs> you know, it's right. like if if I'm a if if I'm a if if I'm a credit card company or you know like a money transmitter, and all of a sudden here comes this technology that basically cuts the cost of doing what I do in half. 
you know, it might not be as fast, but it's definitely cheaper, then I'm not going to be too happy about that. And then I'm going to talk to my friends in Washington to see what we can do about this. Well, Jason, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for doing this week in review and having a conversation. Very nice to meet you. And I can't wait for you to come back on and do this again. By the way, if everybody wants to reach out to Jason, it is jason at decrypt.co or jason at decryptmedia.com. Both go to the same address. We just have two for no reason. But Jason, (laughs) thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, share, leave us a comment, and smash five stars in the rating system on Spotify. And until tomorrow's weekend update, happy hodling, everyone.